See, that's the way you that's the way you cover your screw up. You might make a joke about somebody else. Well, let's get back to Deuteronomy. We got down to chapter nine. We're just making wonderful progress here. It did occur to me, thinking about this, that God did tell us to read this every seventh year at the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, that may vary, and who reads it where, if they follow that interdiction at all, but for us at least, in our history, it seems to be the time to do it here, seven years since we came into the land began to develop this. Uh, but you know, it may be the last time. Think about that. That's seven years off when we do this again, by command. And there's going to be an awful lot of change between now and seven years. I think I could guarantee that. So maybe we'll be into some of these times. And that, in that sense, makes it, if that be the case, makes it the most important reading ever to come, that there's ever been. Because if it is the last, there could be one more, but if it is the last, that makes it the most important just simply by default. Because the things we're reading here, that God says are going to happen, and we enter into the land truly of promise, not just a, a place on the way, it's the last time we get this warning before that happens. So, as Moses kept saying, Hear, O Israel. And in fact, that's how he starts chapter 9 again. Hear, O Israel. You are to pass over Jordan this day. It wasn't that very day, but he meant right soon here now. Uh, to go in to possess nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities great and fenced up to heaven. In other words, these people have defenses and military up the yin-yang. Uh, it will seem like their walls go clear to heaven. Of course, they do go up into the heavens where the birds fly, but uh, still in all, it was formidable is what he's trying to get across to them. And I think the challenges ahead of us and the things that we read that God will do for us are very challenging as well. He says, A people great and tall, the children of the Anakims, whom you know and of whom you have heard, say, Who can stand before the children of Anak? And that's what ten of the spies came back and said. Understand, therefore, this day that the eternal your God is he which goes over before you. Whatever challenges were to be laid in front of them, know that God is there. And it is comforting that we have come to understand that Joshua, or Jesus, means God is salvation, but Emmanuel means God with us. And that's what we need in the time to come. And that's who we pray to now most of the time, using that name at this point. 
He is the he which goes before you as a consuming fire. He shall destroy them, and he shall bring them down before your face. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Eternal has said to you. So God was going to be doing it, but he would use their military and their armaments as well. And while we may not take up the sword per se here at the end, uh, his church is going to be given great power, and that power will be to destroy even, uh, as strange as that may seem. Speak not you in your heart, after that the Eternal your God has cast them out from before you, saying, For my righteousness the Eternal has brought me in to possess this land. But for the wickedness of these nations, the eternal has drive them out from before you. He wanted them and us to understand that what is being done is not because we are so wonderful and so righteous, and he can't just but help himself to save us. It's easy to get self-righteous as a person who understands the real truth of God, and to think we're special and important beyond what we should. It's easy, it's easy to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, as Paul put it, and we should esteem others better than ourselves. It isn't for our greatness. He goes on to say, Not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart do you go to possess their land. But for the wickedness of these nations, the eternal your God does drive them out from before you, that he may perform the word which he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what God does ahead of us in the next year or two or three or four is not going to be because we are so great and so righteous. The penalty that's coming on the peoples around us and in this nation is because of their wickedness. He makes it very plain. He is not going to go out and punish other peoples and nations and hurt them and kill them for our sake because we're righteous. He's going to do it because they are wicked is why he's going to do it. And, in so doing, to perform the promise he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Israel, ever since Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has never lived up to the standard of those three. We've never accomplished it. That's why we're told to look back to them. And he promised them, no matter what, because of their obedience, he would bless his seed to a thousand generations and in the end time, and gave prophecies about what would be happening with all the tribes at the end, which is now. So while we need to understand God's love and his mercy and forgiveness and recognition of our willingness to obey and do the things he says, Still in all, we can't get self-righteous and say we're better than those people, because we're not. Understand, therefore, that the eternal your God gives you not this good land to possess it for your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. We tend to be stubborn, stiff-necked, like a backsliding heifer, as Hosea put it. 
We want to think what we want to think. We want to do what we want to do. We do not want to be humble and meek and teachable, kind and gentle. We want to be proud and vain and self-directed. That describes goats, not sheep. If we've been goats, we need to become lambs. Or, as Christ put it, like little children who are compliant, who look up to God or to their parents with awe and respect, love and willingness to comply and be like Daddy, be like Mommy. Uh, Sure, they have their rebellious and their selfish streaks, but that's not what Christ was referring to. He was referring to the sweet innocence and willingness that children tend to have. That's what he wants us to become. Remember and forget not. So do two things here. Both remember and do not forget how you provoked the eternal your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you did depart out of the land of Egypt until he came to this place. You have been rebellious against the eternal. And we were in worldwide. We may not have thought of it that way. But we rebelled against coming away from the world and seeking him with our whole hearts. We did it half-heartedly, lackadaisically. Uh, ho-hum, going through the motions, not on fire, not doing it with all our might, as he instructs us to do, to seek him the way you do silver and gold, rubies and precious stones. And men do get gold fever. Well, God wants us to have God fever. That's what he's after. And we didn't have that in those last years of worldwide, I guarantee you. So we provoked him, and he blew us apart. Now we need to begin to seek him with God fever. Also in Horeb you provoked the eternal to wrath, so that the Lord was angry with you to have destroyed you. God was so mad, he was ready to just wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And he's about to wipe physical Israel off the face of the earth as he has pretty much done with the church. Survivors need to have their ears in tune. When I was gone up into the mountain to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant which the Eternal made with you, then I abode in the mountain forty days and forty nights. I neither did eat bread nor drink water. And the Eternal delivered to me two tables of stone, written with the finger of God. And on them was written according to all the words which the Eternal spoke with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. So God had spoken it, and then he wrote it on the stones. And it came to pass, at the end of forty days and forty nights, that the Eternal gave me the two tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant. This was something that was very important to God, which he was so concerned about that the mount was on fire. Poor Moses went without for forty days and forty nights before he was handed the law of God. 
Of course, he was going to do away, away with it shortly thereafter, but uh, it was important at the moment. And the Eternal said to me, Arise, get you down quickly from here, for the people which you have brought forth, he didn't say at this point, the ones I delivered with my mighty hand. He said, These people you brought out. He just laid it on him. These aren't my people at this point. They're yours, Moses. And guess what they're doing down there? They've corrupted themselves. They are quickly turned aside out of the way which I commanded them. God had spoken the Ten Commandments. Moses stayed up there, and they couldn't wait the forty days out. They have made them a molten image. Furthermore, the Eternal spoke to me, saying, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Let me alone, that I may destroy them, and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater, mightier and greater than they. He said, get back, don't even talk to me about this, I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to have you have a bunch more kids, and I'll just make a nation out of you. That's the point it had come to. Almost like the parable of the marriage, where he says, why did all these people show up without wedding garments? Cast them out. Go to the highways and byways and find somebody who's willing to listen. How self-determined are we? How stiff-necked and stubborn are we? How often do we get our own idea or our own thoughts, and we're going to hang on to it no matter what, and we will not be taught or teachable by the Word of God. Sometimes people get that way. There are a lot of them in the world and in the church today. So, that's pretty strong words from God, isn't it? Don't come to me. Let me alone. So I turned and came down from the mount. I imagine he was pretty heavy-hearted. And the mountain burned with fire, and the two tables of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the eternal your God, and had made you a molten calf. You had turned aside quickly out of the way which the eternal had commanded you. And I took the two tables and cast them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Eternal, as at the first, forty days and forty nights, I did neither eat bread nor drink water, because of all your sins, which you sinned in doing wickedly in the sight of the Eternal, to provoke him to anger. He didn't really approach God at that point, did he? He just fell down on his face and started fasting all over again. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure wherewith the Eternal was angry against you to destroy you. But the Eternal hearkened to me at that time also. And the Eternal was very angry with Aaron to have destroyed him. He was going to wipe Aaron out because he allowed it. You know, remember Aaron's excuse? Well, the people, they. He didn't take the lead and stomp them to pieces if they wouldn't listen. He says, well, the people did it. I didn't agree with it. Well, if you didn't agree, why didn't you do something about it? God was angry with him for not exercising the position that he had as the high priest. Don't let them get away with it, he said. 
That's why God tells the ministry now to cry aloud and spare not, and tell the people their sins. There is a responsibility there. Aaron almost died because he did not exercise that responsibility. But we have to be careful when we get up here to speak, that we don't speak the smooth and easy and maybe popular things, but tell you the way it is and what needs to be done. And then if you're stiff-necked and rebellious, you'll disregard it. But if you're humble and you're meek, you'll work at it. So he said, God would have destroyed Aaron, verse 20, and I prayed for Aaron also the same time, the people and for Aaron. And I took your sin, the calf which you had made, and burnt it with fire, and stamped it, and ground it very small, even until it was as small as dust. And I cast the dust thereof into the brook that descended out of the mountain. And at Taborah, and at Massah, and at Kibroth Hatava, you provoked the Eternal to wrath. Likewise, when the Eternal sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Eternal, your God, and you believed him not, nor hearkened to his voice. You have been rebellious against the Eternal from the day that I knew you. <laughs> the day I first came out here and came back to Egypt, you weren't ready to listen then, and you're still not. How carnal are we? How hard and stiff-necked do we become? And it's so easy. It is so easy to come to services. It's so easy to listen here in 30 minutes or four hours or a day later, forget what was said and lapse back into the same old ruts we've been in before. It's so hard to actually do something about it. It's so easy to continue the way we have been. Thus I fell down before the Eternal forty days and nights as I fell down at the first, because the Eternal had said He would destroy you. I prayed there unto the Eternal and said, O Lord God, destroy not your people and your inheritance which you have redeemed through your greatness, which you have brought forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look not unto the stubbornness of this people, nor to their wickedness, nor to their sin. Lest the land which you brought us out say, because the Eternal was not able to bring them into the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to slay them in the wilderness. What if God had gone ahead and slain them, then his name would have been denounced by the heathen. And they said, yeah, those Israelites that were complaining on the side to us about how God had brought them out there to destroy them, the strangers and the mixed multitude that were with them, probably talked to others as they traveled. Yep, that's what happened. Their God didn't love them. He hated them and he destroyed them. What does it say? Except the very elect would be here at the end. God would wipe out the entirety of the earth. So what he did in Noah's day, 
what he threatened to do in Moses' day, what he is about to do would be worldwide, except for a few. How many Noahs do we have here? How many Abrahams do we have here? How many Moses do we have here? Who is there who will stand in the gap? Who is there who will be strong and valiant for the eternal and for the truth? Jeremiah said they are not valiant for the truth. They let it fall to the ground. It's got, there's got to be a few, not the proud, but the elect. And there aren't many candidates for that. There are very few who understand the truth on the earth today. You understand. Do you realize how much responsibility is on our shoulders? Can we grasp that? That the fate of the entire world and whether mankind survives at all in this end time is dependent upon there being a few very elect. How heavy can it get? Now, when Christ died to save the world, he called some of us to do the same thing he did. We are to walk in his steps. We are to think his thoughts. We are to do for this world as best we can what he did for it. There's a place in Isaiah, I think it is, where he calls us saviors. Do you know that? Or did you ever focus on that? I've read it, I believe. We are to go and be as he was. Now, we can't take his place. Don't get me wrong. His was the greatest sacrifice ever and always will be. But as his bride-to-be, we're called upon to sacrifice in much the same way he did. Now, the nice part of this is, if we are the very elect, if we accept, if we shoulder our responsibility, and we follow through on it, we won't have to die as he died. Most of us. Some will. But he'll save us out of it because we're the elect. So there's a great benefit because most of the world is going to die. And if it isn't for a few righteous, all would. He made that very plain statement there in Matthew 24. Anyway, where was I here? I said to remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and look not to the stubbornness of the people. Uh, verse 29, I guess. Yet they are your people, and your inheritance, which you brought out by your mighty power and by your stretched out arm. Now, we have been brought here by God's mighty power and outstretched arm, have we not? Didn't God have to open our minds and bring us to what we understand? Some of you have tried, oh, you have tried, to convert your children 
your fathers, your mothers, your brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, friends. Some of you tried really hard. Some of you haven't given up yet trying to convert others. You can't do it. Only God can. No man can come except the Spirit of the Father draw him. So if you're trying to do it, you're just flapping your arms in futility. Relax. Give it up. Turn it over to God. He's the only one that can do it. Doesn't mean we can't pray for them. Doesn't mean we can't ask His will be done. But there's no sense in us trying to do God's job, is there? <laughs> it won't work. It is only by His stretched out arm and His mighty hand that anyone can be converted. Chapter 10. At that time the Eternal stood to me, or said to me, Cut you two tables of stone like the first, and come up to me in the mountain, and make you an ark of wood. Well, the, the workload increases here. You cut out the stones. And I will write on the tables the words that were in the first tables, which you broke, and, shall put, and you shall put them in the ark. And I made an ark of shittim wood, and hewed two tables of stone like the first, and went up into the mountain, having the two tables in my hand. And he wrote on the tables, according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Eternal spoke to you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And the Eternal gave them to me. And I turned myself and came down from the mount and put the tables in the ark which I had made. And there they be, as the Eternal commanded me. They were still carrying the Ark of the Covenant around with them. Now they were on the edge of the Jordan, ready to go in. And he's reminding them of all this history. We could remind ourselves of how and when we were called, all that we've been through, and our experience in trying to walk a Christian walk. The difficulties, the pitfalls, the problems, the successes, the victories, the overcoming that has been done. We can remind ourselves of those things and understand that God had to have been there or we would not be here today. We couldn't have done it on our own. None of us. So he's reminding them of these things. The children of Israel took their journey from Beeroth of the children of Jeachan to Mosirah. And there Aaron died, and there he was buried. And Eleazar his son ministered in the priest's office in his stead. And from there they journeyed to Gadgoda, and from Gadgoda to Jopbath, a land of rivers of waters. That's interesting, Jot Bath and Rivers of Waters. They could bathe, I guess, better. Uh, there are a few sidelights in here to notice as we go through, uh, comparing the land of Palestine with America. Where do you find a land of rivers of waters over there? Pretty scarce. And yet there are many places like that in this land, even right here out of Zion, of the area, come four rivers. They're not real big right now, but four. Out of Yellowstone come four major rivers. Uh, I wouldn't be too alarmed or frustrated if that turned out to be wrong and God said the Garden of Eden was in Yellowstone. Uh, I'd go for that. Wouldn't take me long to pack. 
But anyway, wherever they were, there were rivers of waters. At that time, the Eternal separated the tribe of Levi to bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Eternal, to stand before the Eternal, to minister to him, and to bless in his name to this day. Wherefore, Levi has no part nor inheritance with his brethren. The Eternal is his inheritance, according as the Eternal your God promised him. In Ezekiel's temple, uh, the Levites will there again be given land around the temple to perform the temple services that need to be done. The Eternal said to me, Arise, take your journey before the people, that you may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. And now, Israel, what does the Eternal your God require of you? I'm rehearsing this history and some of your failings, but really, when you get down to it, bottom line, what does God require of you? But to fear the Eternal your God, to walk in all His ways, and to love Him, and to serve the Eternal your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That almost sounds like a marriage ceremony, doesn't it? That's what God requires, to fear Him, to walk in His ways, to love Him, and to serve Him with all our heart and with all our soul. Is that so difficult? Yes, it is. Because we tend to be self-serving. We have our own goals and purposes. We want to do our own thing. Whatever the reason might be, it's hard to put God first. We have so many reasons that we need to bypass him to get what we want. To keep the commandments of the Eternal and his statutes, which I command you this day for your good. What does he require of you? Is this it? Yes. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Eternal's, your God, and the earth also, with all that therein is. It all belongs to him anyway. Now, Shouldn't you kind of cozy up to the one that owns it all? We cozy up to people in life, human beings do, who have whatever it is that we might want. You know, if you win the lottery, you suddenly have all kinds of friends. People who wouldn't have spoken to you on the street the day before are now your best friends, they say. God owns it all. Wouldn't it only be natural that we would all turn to Him to receive blessings that only He can give? Only the Eternal has a delight in your fathers to love them, and He chose their seed after them, even you, above all people as it is this day. Who else but God? could have dealt with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and made promises to them about what would happen to their seed thousands of years later. Can you make any promises to your children about how things will be a few thousand years from now? Did your parents, as you were growing up, promise you that your seed would be as the sand of the sea and that you would bless them? How were you going to do it, moldering in your grave? Or how were they going to do it? Couldn't be done. Only God can make that kind of promises. 
and he can fulfill them. The very fact that we are sitting here today, living and breathing in this land, proves that God is able to work things out over periods of thousands of years and cause them to be as they are. He has that kind of power. He was very specific in those promises in Genesis 49, wasn't he? About what would happen to the various tribes, where they would be, what their state would be, what their attitudes would be, what their problems would be. And you look around today, and it's that way. You would think that we would just be so overjoyed in grasping and understanding that, that we just couldn't help ourselves in following and obeying God. If it weren't for Satan and our carnal human nature, that's the way it would be. Because this is so very true. So what does he say to do? <clears throat> Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. Circumcision was not just of the flesh even back then. The New Testament speaks of circumcising the heart, cutting away that part which is not needed. And that is an echo from the Old Testament. So even back then, the circumcision of the flesh was to symbolize the circumcision of the heart. Moses understood. Don't be stiff-necked. For the eternal your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regards not persons nor takes reward. He will always be fair. He will not put one over another, but he is even-handed and willing to give to anyone who will meet the requirements of his covenant. He does execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow and loves the stranger and giving him food and raiment. Christ said it rains on the just and the unjust. It is truly amazing how many quotes in the New Testament sprung from the Old. That was the word they had. Love you therefore, the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. We're not to hate those around us. We're not to imbibe of their practices, their ways their thoughts, their actions, but we're to love them, be concerned for them. You shall fear the eternal your God. Him shall you serve, and to him shall you cleave, and swear by his name. He is your praise, and he is your God, that has done for you these great and terrible things which your eyes have seen. We get to feeling sorry for ourselves once in a while, and oh, pity me, with our trials and troubles and tribulations. And it's so easy to focus on those things instead of the blessings that we do have. And we do. The very fact that we understand God's truth and we see a way out of what is coming is such an incredible blessing. No one else has a glimmer of hope. We do. Let's focus on the blessings we have instead of the problems we have. Maybe we'll move forward toward the blessings, like the carrot before the donkey, better than the two before behind the behind. 
we have to have some of each, it seems, but God speaks very chastening words, and then he encourages, and then he chastens again, and then he encourages, and he sets the example over and over and over in the Bible how we should deal with our own children. We chasten them, and then we encourage them, and we chasten them, and we encourage them. That's the way he does us. And slowly, we're making progress. We're getting there. Takes time, but we're getting there. He knows what he's doing. Verse 20, you shall fear the eternal your God. Oh, I I read that. Verse 21, he is your praise and he is your God that has done these great and terrible things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down in Egypt with 70 people. And now the eternal your God has made you as the stars of heaven for multitude. And if they were big then, we're much bigger today. If there were three million right here in this land alone, there are over 300 million. So look at the increase there. Therefore you shall love the eternal your God and keep his charge and statutes and his judgments and his commandments always. And know you this day, for I speak not with your children which have not known, and which have not seen the chastisement of the eternal your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his stretched out arm. So I'm speaking to you who've seen, and today we who are reading have seen, how God raised up a man and began something very, very small that led to a worldwide work with hundreds of millions of dollars of income per year, that he used to call people out of this world from around the world to have their hearts turned to God. We've seen that. And we've seen the prophecies of Revelation 3 and Laodicea come to pass as well. We only looked at that and wondered about it 20, 30, 40 years ago. How would that come to be? We've been there now, done that. And so far we've survived. Isn't it amazing? So I'm not speaking to people who just fell off the turnip truck. I'm speaking to people who've been there, done that, and seen a lot of things. And his miracles, and his acts which he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land. Yes, some of these were more dramatic, and we're still looking at more dramatic things about to happen. And they will. And we can cast back on history and see dramatic things from the past and realize that if God did those, he will fulfill his promises here at the end time as well. So the promises he's made us for good and for peace and for love and security in a time of war and trouble are just as good as the promises back then. And what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses, to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea to overflow them as they pursued after you, and how the Eternal has destroyed them to this day, and what he did to you in the wilderness till you came into this place, what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the sons of Reuben, how the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their households, and their tents, and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of all Israel. I wonder if the people in Jerusalem, when Ananias and Sapphira did what they did, were reminded of Abiram and Korah and some of those people. Oh, wow! 
God just struck him dead. That may happen again. Would not surprise me one whit if it happened again in the end. And we will again be reminded of Abiram and Korah and Ananias and Sapphira. Forewarned is forearmed. Don't go there. Don't be that way. If you have negative approaches and negative attitudes, you need to be very careful with those and you need to repent of them and become positive and believing and looking forward instead of finding every loose brick you can. Some people, by dent of personality, interesting word there, dented personality maybe I should say, tend to be negative, cynical. How can that be? Well, this may be, but... They're not open and willing and positive. There was a doubting Thomas, remember? The other disciple says, looks like you, sounds like you, looks like a duck, quacks like a duck. You must be Christ. Thomas said, eh, wait a minute, buddy. I want to see some scars. Okay. Doubters, complainers, will always be, unless they repent. We need to be positive and thankful and look to the good that God has done for us and the good He is about to do, rather than focusing on what might be wrong. That is probably the easiest thing for humans to do, is focus on what might or could be or is wrong. You know, if you want to find something wrong with me, it shouldn't take you long. If you're having difficulty with it, come and ask. I'll give you a list. I can make one up pretty fast. If you're scared to do that, go talk to my wife. She's on the line. No, it's easy to pick, to find fault. It's easy to say, I would have done that differently. Well, you might have. Maybe sometimes it is done wrong. Sometimes it may just be done different than what you would do. That doesn't make it wrong. There are differences in administrations. People do different things in different ways. Sometimes I'm about to do something a certain way and somebody will make a suggestion and I'll change it and do it a different way because it sounds like a better way. I don't always have the, all the answers by any means. But... God put me in this position. And you did. You could have gone somewhere else. You could have been in a different organization. I was not planning on starting another group. I did not want to be the pastor of yet another group. 
and said so. And some of you called, and you said, we want you to be our pastor. You know, you make mistakes too. <clears throat> now you've moved out here and sold your houses and put up others, and you say, oh my. Hey, we're all in this together. We've got to change, grow, overcome together. We've got to help one another, sharpen iron together. It is what it is. God has brought this bunch together. And everyone that is here, he allowed it to happen or passed on it or encouraged it or however he went about it to get you here. So we have to make the best of the situation and do the best we can with what we have to do with. That's the way it is. Now you can walk out this door and you can go start searching for a perfect group with leadership that never makes a mistake. And we'll see you in a while because you've got a lot of traveling to do. You won't find it on this earth anywhere. It's, you know, I'm not saying this is the best there is and you and I are the best there is, but if you're a loose bricker, you'll find them anywhere you go because they'll be there. Some people think if they could just find one loose brick, they could bring the whole wall down. Is that a proper goal? To try to pull the wall down. Might you find yourself fighting God if you pull the wall down? Maybe he wanted the wall to be there. Maybe he wants the loose brick shored up. Maybe he wants them to re be remortared. Maybe he wants it to be improved, but he doesn't necessarily want it all pulled down. It's a matter of attitude is what it is. Are we going to find the good? Isn't that what we're told to do with each other? Is to minimize that which might be bad and to emphasize the good? I could go to the New Testament right now. We could spend the next four sermons reading that kind of scriptures. You see, part of the stiff-necked, uncircumcised of heart approach is prove it. I got to see it. Doubting Thomas, I got to see it. Now, we don't check our brains at the door, no. We need to be able to think, to read the scripture, to use logic, not always emotion, and prove that which is true and hold fast that which is good. We've been snookered before, and we don't want snookered again. I understand that. I know I'm not trying to snooker you. I'm trying to know the truth. I'm trying to learn the truth. And if I'm wrong about something, I want it changed, whether it's Passover or calendar or race or anything else. There are a lot of issues that you have that go way back in your past. 
that need to be changed and overcome and have a different view on. And that's true of all of us. So we're not just reading this to take up time, are we? Are we reading this to be instructed of God as we're about to pass into a promised land with His blessings and be prepared so that we can handle the blessings that are to come? If you'll seek me with all your heart, Let's see, where was I? I'm completely lost now. Did I get into 11 or partway through it? Yeah, I, was, I got into 13, didn't I? Where you serve Him with your heart and your soul. That I will give you the rain of your land in His due season, the first rain and the latter rain. Remember prophetically, He says in Joel too, I'll give it in the first month, former and the latter rain. So some... Some one of these Aprils, this is going to happen if we obey Him with all our heart and with all our soul. Wouldn't it be nice if it's this coming first month, six months from now, that God would open the windows of heaven and give us the former and the latter rain? Maybe if we would serve Him with all our heart and with all our soul for the next six months, it would happen this coming year. Wouldn't that be neat? Is it worth a try? What else you got to do all winter? Maybe you could seek God. That you may gather in your corn and your wine and your oil, and I will send grass in your fields for your cattle, that you may eat and be full. I would love to have that now. I've got different animals out here, and all they got is dirt unless I throw them hay. And I have to go buy the hay. And I'd really rather they just eat grass. Some of you who have animals here would really like that too. More of you would probably have animals if they could just go out and eat grass. And I will send grass in your fields. If they'll eat and be full, take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. This is a community cooperative effort, isn't it? So many times. He already has singled out just before this about Abiram and those who were rebellious and how so many died because of the sin of one or two. We are our brother's keepers. I've said that before and I'll probably say it again. Our righteousness individually is important to the whole. We are members of one body. This is the body God's given us. Now, you can look in a mirror personally, and you can say, I wish Dad and Mom had been a little different shaped. I wish Dad and Mom had given me some different parts. This part ain't too bad, but that one's not so hot. Look all around in the mirror. There'll be parts you don't like. Now, you can look around this room, and there'll be some that are better looking or have better personalities or uglier or whatever, in your opinion. 
We're just a collection of parts. All body parts. We're not all behinds either. And if we are, there's probably too many of those and we need to repent. And maybe God will morph us into another part. I don't know. I mean, you are what you are, and you have what you have, and your dad and your mom and your ancestors are what they were, and you deal with it best you can. Now, God has brought us here as a body, and we have our warts and our molds and our bunions and our bad backs and our headaches and whatever all we have, but we're part of one body and we're responsible for each other. We're responsible to see that not one part of the body hurts. And if it does, we all hurt with it. We're not supposed to hurt it. You know? I could pick my boot up and stomp my toe like that. But that's not what I like to do. That hurt. Back to business, when I go home after services, I find a boot jack and get the things off. Bottoms of my feet were hurting last night. Not the tops, but my feet were sliding back and forth. The boots about wore them out. The rest of my body said, oh, I don't want to walk home. Well, sore bottom feet's what I had. So I walked home on them. Best I could do. Well, here we are. This is what we are. Let's learn to help the parts that might need help, strengthen the parts that might need strength, or that might be hurting. I know my body, if I slam my finger in a car door, is very, very quick. The whole body will just center right there in that car door, from head to foot. And some body part had better respond very quickly to get that door open, because I'm going to hurt. And we need to be sensitive to one another and who's hurting and try to ease the pain and help. Not enable them to sin, but strengthen them and try to ease their pain the best we can with love and compassion and help. That's what God would have of us. All right. If we won't turn aside and not serve other gods and worship them, the gods of this world out there, there are many, many of them, and they're very, very appealing to us. I've never really had much interest in the gods of China or Asia or Africa or something they've dug up that somebody's carved on and then made little funny pictures on the rock. That's never appealed to me at all. But boy, some of the gods of modern America have some appeal. Don't they? So if you don't worship those, then the eternal's wrath, or if you do, it will be kindled against you, and he shut up the heaven, that there be no rain, and that the land yield not her fruit, unless you perish quickly from off the good land which the eternal God gives you. Now this nation around us has sinned against God, and in a physical sense, they're going to perish quickly off the land because the rain in due season is going away. We already have famines and droughts, pestilences. 
We already have diseases that are killing us, killing us off by the tens of millions every year. Heart disease, diabetes, cancer, to name the big three, and there are many, many others. It's already upon us. Therefore shall you lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul to your very bone marrow, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. A frontlet is something that focuses you. They put blinders or frontlets on horses when they're plowing so that they're not distracted by things to the side, so they can only look forward down the furrow. That's the way God wants us to focus. And you shall teach them your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. That means throughout life. And you shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. We read that yesterday. He's repeating it. That your days may be multiplied in the days of your children in the land which the eternal swore to your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. For if you shall diligently keep all these commandments which I command you to do them, to love the eternal your God, to walk in all his ways, and to cleave to him, then will the Eternal drive out all these nations from before you, and you shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. Every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours, from the wilderness in Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the uttermost sea, shall your coast be. This is the land I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob I'll give you. Have you noticed a trend here? As God writes these scriptures, and he's repeating the same things over and over, and Moses is repeating the same stories over and over about what God wants. God only wants the same things we want. He just wants to be loved. That's all he wants. That's all he asks. Just love me. Don't all human beings want to be loved? Yes, we do. We crave it. We desire it. We want love. We want others to think well of us and to like us and to want to be around us. And it's frustrating at times because sometimes we're not as lovable as we need to be. But that's all God wants of you and me. He just wants to be loved. Do you realize how little love God has gotten since Adam and Eve hit the Garden of Eden? So very few have loved him enough to do anything he would say. The only command I can ever find anywhere in the Bible that anybody ever fulfilled was replenish the earth about all we've ever done that he asked us to do. That's because we wanted to, not because he said so. Just love him. Just love him with your heart. That's what we have to do. That's all he asks. Isn't that all you girls ask of your husbands? Isn't that really all you husbands want of your wives? Just love me. So many times our children get pushed aside. They want love. 
And if they don't get the attention and the love from their parents, they go out and find it wherever they can find it. They want attention. They want caring. They want loving. And many, many of them would not be doing some of the things they're doing if they were getting the kind of love they should be getting at home. I watched a small part of Dr. Phil yesterday afternoon. And it was all about young girls, mainly, boys too, but mainly the girls, looking for love in all the wrong places because they couldn't find it at home. Pretty sad. Now, the teen might say, it's not love from dad and mom I want. But they wouldn't have as much of that kind of problem if they were getting the kind of attention they need. And that's delicate. We don't have time for all that. You can't spoil them rotten either. Because that doesn't do them any good. There's a balance. But if we'll love him, he'll drive all these nations from before us and will possess greater nations and mightier than ourselves. Verse 24, every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread. Oh, I already read that. Uh, verse 25, there shall no man be able to stand before you, for the eternal your God shall lay the fear of God and the dread of you upon all the land that you shall tread upon, as he has said to you. Love him, and he'll love you back, and he'll protect you from all your enemies. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the eternal your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the eternal your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which you have not known. And it shall come to pass, when the eternal your God has brought you into the land, whether you shall go to possess it, that you shall put the blessing upon Mount Gerizim and the curse upon Mount Ebal. Are they not on the other side, Jordan, by the way where the sun goes down in the land of the Canaanites, which dwell in the Champagne over against Gilgal, beside the plains of Moray? For you shall pass over Jordan to go in to possess the land which the eternal your God gives you, and you shall possess it and dwell therein. And you shall observe to do all the statutes and judgments which I set before you this day. Then he says, These are the statutes and judgments which you shall observe to do in the land which the eternal God of your fathers gives you to possess it. All the days that you live upon the earth, these are eternal judgments and statutes and laws. You shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which you shall possess serve their gods, upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree. And you shall overthrow their altars and break their pillars and turn and burn their groves with fire. And you shall hew down the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of them out of that place. If God gives us an area that has some of those things in it, we have a responsibility. We don't need pagan churches and crucifixes and pictures of some Jesus around. they got to go. You shall not do so to the eternal your God. 
But to the place which the eternal your God shall choose, out of all your tribes, to put his name there, even to his habitation shall you seek, and there you shall come. Now where is that? The place your God shall choose. Other places it says to put his name there. Now, in the Worldwide Church of God, we, we placed God's name on Branson. We placed it on Orlando. We placed it on a lot of places, didn't we? Did it fit? Was he happy with our feasts? Where has God placed his name? You can go to Second Chronicles 13, verse 13. You can go to 1 Kings 14.21. You can go to Isaiah 33:20. You can go to a lot of places in the Bible. I'm not going to turn to all those for sake of time. We've seen them. But he chose Jerusalem to place his name there. So he says, In all your tribes where I place my name in one of those tribes, you shall go there. We do not have an option on where we personally choose to keep the feasts. We need to go where God placed his name. Now, we varied from that in Worldwide Church of God, and perhaps in that time since the church was in that since Jerusalem, though we did not know it, the temple, the spiritual temple, was spread around the earth, and perhaps there was something there that God allowed. It's just that sometimes we made some really bad choices as to where we decided Jerusalem should be, that is, the church. But I think as we get down to the end, and as he begins to draw his remnant together, there's only one place he has in mind to draw it, and that will be Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem shall be built of his towns without walls. He'll draw his people together into the area of Jerusalem, wherever that is on earth, and they will represent Jerusalem. But where is the actual site of the original Jerusalem? Maybe we're on the verge of knowing that. If I knew that for sure, that's probably where I would be standing today. But we are Jerusalem the church, and I think we are in, as the crow flies well under an hour from it, Today, we're in the environs, or the greater Jerusalem, or just at the edge of the Canaanite mountains right outside it. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. And I didn't find it. Somebody else did and showed it to me. Because God likes to do things that way so that we don't get the big head and think, oh, we did this. No, he always has a way of humbling us and letting us realize that he does things and sometimes does things for us that we didn't do for ourselves. It isn't the first time he's done it that way. He says, and... Psalms and other places, I desire to live in Zion. I desire to live in Jerusalem. That is the place of my habitation. That's where I want to go. There's one psalm that's where David was saying, 
I will not rest until I find a habitation for my God. And then it goes on to say, his habitation is Jerusalem. So David was in search of that. He wouldn't rest until he knew he was in the right place where God wanted to dwell. And I think that we need to take that upon our shoulders and not rest until we know for sure where God wishes to dwell. Is it in the Middle East? Is it in Ephraim? Where is it? We need to know. He's going to go there. I'd like to be there when he comes. So it's important to know for sure. If there's any question, any doubt, that has to be answered. I've heard it said that a comment or two have been made. I'm sure glad we got past all that. We're not past all that at all. Maybe there's a little break in the action. We're not done. It's got to be proved one way or the other. And then we'll regather one way or the other. We need to know. Sometimes you need a little break in the action. Some of you were just tickled to death when we got a break in the dance last night. You rest and you resume. And you rest and you resume. No, we're not done. I want to know for sure where God is going to dwell. We need to know. Anyway, when you find that, there you'll come, God will show it, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and heave offerings of your hand and your vows and your freewill offerings and the firstlings of your herds and of your flocks. When we find out where God wants to be, we focus and we bring everything there. And there you shall eat before the eternal your God, and you shall rejoice in all that you put your hand to, you and your households wherein the eternal your God has blessed you. You shall not do after all the things that we do here this day, every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. Now there is the way the church is today. Every minister, every member, doing what is right in his own eyes. But he says, when we learn where Jerusalem is, we're to bring all our focus there because that's where God will be. And Christ says in Zechariah 2 that he will come and dwell with us in the villages of Jerusalem. That's why it's so important that we know for sure where it is. Now, if it's over in the Middle East, you had better start packing. You need to be and gather where Christ is going to be. Now, if you think there's a chance that it's not there, but it has its own place, her original place, then maybe you better check it out before you pack. If it turns out to be wrong, then we'd better all pack and get where we're supposed to be. Okay? You'll not do 
as you do here today, says, every man doing what's right in his own eyes, the focus will center. We're going to learn some answers to things we don't have answers for yet. All kinds of doctrines, all kinds of historical things, all kinds of prophetic things that we don't yet have the answers for are going to become, begin to come into focus so that we're all thinking the same, doing the same, and there's no schism, no division, no difference of opinion, but we're all focused together the way the family ought to be. God is going to make Jerusalem the focal point for that understanding to come to pass. You and I want to be there when that happens. For you are not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance which the eternal your God gives you. They were still on the other side of the Jordan. But when you go over Jordan and dwell in the land which the eternal your God gives you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies round about, so that you dwell in safety. A place, finally, of safety. We've talked about it for decades. Then there shall be a place which your eternal your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. There shall you bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offering of your hand, and all your choice vows which you vow to the eternal. And you shall rejoice before the eternal your God, you and your sons and your daughters and your men servants and your manservants and the Levite that is within your gates, for as much as he has no part nor inheritance with you. Take heed to yourself that you offer not your burnt offerings in every place that you see, wherever you want to do it. He brings it down pretty specifically, doesn't he? It's got to be where he is and the place he names, not any place we think we'd like to go or see something we like. But in the place which the Eternal shall choose in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there, not here, there, and everywhere, but there you shall do all that I command you. Notwithstanding, you may kill and eat flesh in all your gates, whatsoever your soul desires, according to the blessing of the eternal your God which he has given you. The unclean and the clean may eat thereof, both you and the stranger that is in your gates, as of the roebuck and as of the hart, wild game can be eaten, it's okay to hunt, I don't care what PETA says or Sierra Club. God says we can eat the deer and the elk. Only you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it upon the earth as water. You may not eat within your gates the tithe of your corn or of your wine or of your oil or of the firstlings of your herds or of your flock, nor any of the vows which you vow, nor your free will offerings or heave offering of your hand. But you must eat them before the eternal your God in the place which the eternal your God shall choose. You and your son and your daughter and your manservant and your maidservant and the Levite that is within your gates. And you shall rejoice before the eternal your God in all that you put your hands to do. This is obviously speaking of second tithe because it's taken to Jerusalem to the feast. Uh, there's another place that says you give all the tithe to the Levites. So it's obviously speaking of a different tithe, so clearly and so easily proved. Verse 19, Take heed to yourself that you forsake not the Levite as long as you live upon the earth. When the Eternal your God shall enlarge your border as he has promised you, remember Isaiah 54, 
right after the Passover in 53, the coming together of the two witnesses in 52. It says, enlarge the place of your tents. There's going to be people coming. When the eternal your God shall enlarge your border, as he has promised you, and you shall say, I will eat flesh, because your soul longs to eat flesh, you may eat flesh, whatsoever your soul desires. If the place which the eternal your God has chosen to put his name there be too far from you, then you shall kill of your herd and of your flock, which the eternal has given you, as I have commanded you, and you shall eat in your gates whatsoever your soul desires. So this is speaking of keeping his feasts at Jerusalem. And the only place he authorizes you to keep the feast, other than Jerusalem, is your own home. If the way be too far and you cannot get there, then you may kill and eat of those of, of that second tithe in your own home. Even as the roebuck in the heart is eaten, the wild game, so you shall eat them, so you shall eat them. The unclean and the clean shall eat of them alike. Kind of interesting that he keeps throwing in the wild game here in a festival uh, situation. Uh, maybe some of us should be responsible for going hunting. <laughs> Just an aside. It's hair though, isn't it? Verse 23, only be sure that you eat not the blood, for the blood is the life, and you may not eat the life with the flesh. You shall not eat it, you shall pour it upon the earth as water. You shall not eat it. He says that several times about the blood. So, no more blood pudding, forget it. You shall pour it upon the earth as water, you shall not eat it, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, when you shall do that which is right in the sight of the eternal. Only your holy things which you have and your vows... You shall take and go to the place which the Eternal shall choose. And you shall offer your burnt offerings, the flesh and the blood, upon the altar of the Eternal your God, and the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out upon the altar of the Eternal your God, and you shall eat the flesh. Now we understand now we're not doing the physical sacrifices. Christ is our sacrifice, and we bring our offerings, our goods, our hearts, our minds to Him. Bring it all before the Eternal here and worship the King, the Lord of hosts, at the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, that does not uh, change the idea that we may have to set up a physical temple, and we might even go so far as to do animal sacrifices, not because we need them, we have Christ, but as an example to the world about what is going to happen in the millennium with them. I do not know that, but that is a possibility. We shall see what God wants. Observe and hear all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever, when you do that which is good and right in the sight of the Eternal your God. You know, if, if they had just heeded and Israel had ever since, we would not have any of the problems we have in this nation, would we? If we would just hear and understand and do everything God says, we would not have any problems either, would we? And we would have the blessings of God. If Worldwide Church of God had not gone to sleep at the switch, it would not have been blown apart. But God knew it would happen. But also, he knew there would be a faithful remnant. Is that us? I mean, in part, 
That's not all of it, for sure. Does he count us as part of the faithful remnant? I pray to God he will. I pray to God he's talking to you and me. Verse 29, when the eternal your God shall cut off the nations from before you where you go to possess them, and and you succeed them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you be not snared by following them after that they be destroyed from before you, and that you inquire not after their gods, saying, How do these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do likewise. You shall not do so to the eternal your God. See, he takes it personal. Don't do that to God. Love him. For every abomination to the eternal which he hates have they done to their gods. For even their sons and their daughters they have burned in the fire to their gods. Now, the nation around us doesn't offer burnt offerings of the children on an altar, do they? No, they just murder them out of the womb. And they sacrifice them to the devil by allowing them to have the sin and the degradation and deprivation that we have in this land. Along with the churches, we'll probably go to the movie theaters. And maybe even the computers, if they're not used right. Because these things are used for sin. But, if we have everything we need, why would we need those things anyway? It's out of boredom and wanting to be like the world that we want to imbibe of those things anyway. Can we create excitement? Can we create the kind of way of living and life that God would have us live with our own families and community? I enjoyed last night a whole lot more than I would have a movie. That was fun. Just a good time. A lot of laughing and joking and kidding. and It was just plain fun. And it was clean. It was nice. Let's see. Verse 31, I guess. You shall not do so to the eternal your God. For every abomination to the eternal which he hates have they done, and they burnt their kids in the fire, just as we're burning ours up in sin. What things soever I command you, observe to do it. You shall not add thereto, nor diminish from it. This is our guide. Live by every word of God. All right, let's stop there.